0: morning church family we still consider you our family our church family and uh, we we are we feel so much loved and um, embraced here and the from the first time when we arrived back in uh, 2009 um, you guys have been such a um, amazing family to us not it's not to pat you on your shoulder but it's just to really um, show our appreciation and uh, your care for us. Now um, I was born in the former Soviet Union and um, in the area of Ukraine and when I was four years old I told my parents it's enough living here let's move to Israel. I'm just joking. Uh, They took me by the hand and uh, we moved to Israel And I grew up in Israel since. Um, I came to know the Lord only after my army service uh, when I was 23. But um, ever since, uh, God had placed on my heart the desire to reach out to my own people. And I think you can probably relate to it because uh, many of you feel the desire to reach your own neighbors, your own people. And it's uh, kind of very natural for, for someone to feel that way. But um, when, when um, God has um, called us to, to go out and to uh, seek after a Bible college endeavor, we started uh, looking out there and uh, we kind of uh, somehow found the Shepherds Bible College and, and came here to, to far away New Zealand. After we came here, we realized oh, this place has a, an amazing potential for outreach. As a matter of fact, first of all, with, with the Jewish people, we had an amazing experience sharing the gospel with Jewish people here that we never had in Israel. And uh, we noticed the openness and the how much um, Jewish people outside of, of their own country, Israel, are so much more... Uh, inclined to actually listen to you and actually um, kind of uh, consider what you're saying for their own life. And I think uh, it's, it's uh, very much so also with other nations. And we notice, since we've been living here that actually New Zealand is an attraction for so, so many nations that come here. And uh, it's like a huge mission field and most of the people that come to travel to New Zealand—by the way, there's a 3.7 million tourists that come to New Zealand each year—and and the number is just growing. And and we thought, wow, this is this is an amazing opportunity for, especially the young backpackers, and uh, to reach out. So God is in providence, allowed us to to be part of this ministry to reach out, especially to young traveling Israelis. And uh, we noticed that when we actually do something more practical for them, um, it's even more uh, effective to reach out to them. And so we, we started um, looking into facility uh, outreach. And what I mean by that is we provide a facility where the backpackers can stay for free. And with with having uh, showing them hospitality, they are much more inclined to listen to you and to hear what you have to say, because it kind of comes with something practical that we do for them. And uh, they don't take it for granted. They really do appreciate it. Now, when when I do talk to the Israelis, many times I have these uh, questions that's coming up. So, one of the questions that uh, when I talked recently to, to an Israeli, a religious Jewish Israeli, actually, he... He posed the question, well, if you claim that Jesus is the Messiah, how come we don't have world peace? How come we don't have uh, a prosperity for Israel as a nation? Because this is what the Messiah is supposed to bring, supposed to bring world peace according to the promises and all these other promises to to rule from Jerusalem, to establish his kingdom, and so on. And uh, actually, it's a very legit question. Because uh, those are the promises in our Bibles. Now, when it comes to uh, explaining how it works out, I had to appeal to the, the, the coming of the Messiah twice. So the Messiah had to come twice, not just once. And uh, the first time when he had to come, he had to, to um, make an atonement for the sin of the world he had to pay the penalty and he had to shed his blood as a sacrifice on the cross and uh, the second time when he will come then only he will establish his uh, kingdom he will bring world peace as according to the promise and as a matter of fact there is a very contradiction in in terms of uh, the promises concerning the messiah in in thinking, how can one person, in, in one coming, fulfill all the promises concerning the Messiah? Because on one hand, he has to be a very low sum, meek, riding on a donkey, um, will be betrayed, will be suffering, will die on the cross. And then on the other hand, he has to be the King Messiah, the ruler of the world, the one that will rule the nations with a rod of iron from Jerusalem. So how, is it co- can, how can that coincide? with one person coming only once. And uh, this, is, this paradox is actually something that the Jewish people already looked into and thought about. Well, there's actually uh, some contradictory pro- promises and prophesying about the Messiah in the scriptures. So they came up with um, more the ancient traditional Uh, Jewish view is that there will be two messiahs one will be nicknamed the son of joseph and one will be nicknamed the son of david and the son of joseph will be the one suffering dying um, and so on and the son of david will be the king messiah the ruler and and so on now they don't really literally mean that the messiah will be the son of of joseph in his lineage but what they mean is that he will be like joseph that apparently Joseph didn't suffer for, well, he suffered for no no good reason. For he was a righteous man, he didn't do anything wrong, seemingly, and yet he suffered greatly, and he was betrayed by his brothers and so on. So, when, when it came to thinking about this uh, whole um, two messiahs, it's actually... Um, it's actually so vivid that it will be only one Messiah, only, only one, uh, the promised Son of God that will come, but he had to come twice. And this is the key for understanding how the Messiah will fulfill all that there is to fulfill. Now I've asked uh, Andrew to help us in uh, reading our passage for today, and it's in Acts chapter 7, so you won't hear my voice all the time. And uh, in Acts chapter 7, we will focus on that aspect of um, Messiah coming twice.
1: All right, hey, thanks, so, Zohar. Huh? Zohar's got a Bible in Hebrew, so I'm going to read from the English (laughs) translation. Uh, So we're going to start in Acts chapter 7, and we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, starting in in verse 1. It's Acts chapter 7, it says, The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God, um, God had him move to his country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect that the descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob and his father and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamer and Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been sent, set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him and her, as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power and words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you're brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark... Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, have heard their groans, and I've come down to rescue them. Come now, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer, with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the lands of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers. And he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repented repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron make for us gods who will go before us for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt we do not know what happened to him at that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands but God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets it was not "'To me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? "'You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Rompha, "'and the images which you made to worship. "'I also will remove you beyond Babylon.'" Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke to, Mo- as to Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen, And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon Solomon who built a house for him. However, the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord?" Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they um, had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness laid aside their robes at the feet of a man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called out on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep.
0: Thank you so much, Andrew. It's, um, sometimes it's a difficult passage to go through. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that um, the scriptures are full of testimony of your goodness and your grace to us that we do not deserve. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to to put yourself instead of us on this crucifixion crucifixion stake. Lord, we thank you that you took our place. Thank you, Lord, for your word. That it's a light unto our feet. And we thank you, Lord. And help us to to be dwelling in what you Share today with us in Jesus' name. We'll uh, we'll be focusing, like I said, on on the two comings of the Messiah and how um, Stephen was uh, actually, while he was full of the Spirit, he he was really wanting to dwell on the on the defense that he was. Uh, putting forward before his accusers before the sanhedrin the whole council the jewish council of that day of um, 71 people including the high priest and uh, this sanhedrin uh, had the had the supreme uh, authority to to judge in terms of um, religious judge judgments uh, against wherever they find not sticking with with the Jewish rules and so on. Now, um, who was Stephen? And uh, this is is just a little bit of uh, understanding who he was. He was a Jewish believer. He was chosen first to serve at the tables. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had much wisdom. Stephen proclaimed the truth about Jesus to everyone who would listen and Stephen loved his own people he wanted them to be saved and uh, this is his quote lord do not hold this sin against them and this is his uh, one of his last words that he spoke and um, when i'm when i'm thinking about the hostility over the centuries that uh, the jewish people have received from Christendom in general from uh, so many churches uh, I don't really know what it, where it's coming from I understand that, that the Jewish people are have a lot to account for a lot of things that they did wrong but um, when I see Stephen's heart when I see Paul's heart I see how much love they have for the people like for example in Romans 9 this is a um, Paul speaking, and he says about his people, um, 9 verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoptions as sons and so on. And uh, this is the heartful, and I see the same heart that Stephen had—the love for his people. Okay, he—they—they they were angry with him; they wanted to kill him, but he still wanted to see them turn. He still loved them. He wanted to see them saved. In his defense, uh, sometimes when we when we read the, the words, it's uh, we can learn so much not only from what Stephen has said, but also from what Stephen didn't say. And when he recounted the history of the Jewish people, beginning with Abraham, the first Hebrew, he started uh, talking about um, the Jewish people and their history. And and sometimes when we kind of um, look at it, we think, yeah, he's just telling us the history of the Jewish people and so on. But as a matter of fact, Stephen had a purpose. And he was defending himself before his accusers to prove that Jesus was the true Messiah. And uh, when, when it came that at that time, when we think about it, as far as the promises of what the Messiah is supposed to bring... He didn't bring world peace at that point yet. He didn't drive the Romans out of Israel. He didn't uh, free Israel from their enemies and so on. So his accusers had the same idea. Well, we don't see the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah as far as all the other promises are concerned. And uh, Stephen actually addressed that in his speech he, he quickly moved from Abraham. He didn't speak much about Isaac, just mentioned him by name. He didn't speak about Jacob, just mentioned him by name. Didn't talk about Esau, didn't talk about uh, Jacob uh, serving Laban and, or marrying Rachel, marrying Leah, nothing. Just He had 12 sons, the 12 sons, and Joseph. Immediately he moves to talk about Joseph. And Joseph had quite an extend, extended amount portion where he talked about him. And uh, so it was also with Moses. After Joseph, he, focus, he focused on Moses. And uh, what, what really uh, Stephen was, was putting in, in emphasis was that Joseph and Moses were a precursors for the Messiah. They were Christ-type. As a matter of fact... When what, they, what happened in, with them with, in their lives is actually something that we ought to learn about what will happen to the Messiah. So, the attitude of the Jewish leaders was that they were, they, uh, when they uh, tried to confront Stephen at the synagogue, when they couldn't bring real accusations, they, they They brought false accusations against him because they couldn't stand against his wisdom. And uh, Stephen was uh, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, and we can learn from that as well. So they accused him falsely, and the result was that he was executed by the very people that he loved, his own people. Stephen, in his famous speech before the Sanhedrin, had uh, some emphasis to, to put And the fact is that both Joseph and Moses were rejected at first, and they both were accepted and widely accepted as leaders and saviors after the second time. And this is uh, what I believe that Stephen was trying to emphasize. So when we think about Joseph, we think about his first appeal and uh, he was rejected by his brothers when he had those dreams in Genesis 37. He had these dreams where his brothers um, in, a, in a picture of, of bowing down to him. And then he had this picture of the sun and moon and stars as well bowing down to him. And they rejected him. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And Jesus uh, he was also rejected in his first appeal by his people. Moses, when he was trying to separate the two men fighting, the two Hebrew slaves, he was rejected. And they said, who, who are you to be a judge over us? And he fled to Midian after discovering that, he was, that uh, Pharaoh found out about his um, murder And only the second time when he came, he became the leader and the ruler and well accepted with all the nation. They accepted him as ruler and leader. Joseph as well. Uh, It says on their second visit to Egypt, Joseph revealed himself to them. And from that point, he was accepted as the leader. He was accepted as the savior of that time. Remember, he saved the whole area, the whole region from famine. And especially in regards to his family, he brought them all to a safety, to a place where they can be secure. What that means is that the Messiah, Jesus, will be widely accepted as the ruler, as the leader, the second time he'll come. And this was... Stephen's point in, in showing that what the Jewish people are doing in rejecting him, they'll one day regret and they'll widely accept him in his second coming. Now Joseph is the type of the Messiah. God used Joseph and his circumstances around his life to rescue Jacob's household from starvation, providing them the blessing of peace, prosperity and and protection in the land of Goshen. Isn't that exactly what Jesus wanted to do with his brothers and sisters? He said to them in Matthew 23, um, starting in verse 37, said, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hand gathers her cheeks under her wings. And that means all those things, protection, nourishment, and Everything that, um, that Joseph had shown his family. And he said, but you were not willing at that time. In the, in the Jewish tradition, Messiah is often named the son of David, but is also known as the son of Joseph. And Joseph is, a, like I said, is a Christ type. Um, how is Joseph a Christ type? What is the parallel between Joseph and Jesus? Well, Joseph, for example, was rejected by his own brothers. Jesus was rejected by his own brothers and his own people. Joseph was revealed who he really was to his brothers only the second time. Jesus will reveal himself as the true king, Messiah, to all the Jewish brothers in his second coming. Joseph was stripped from his garment, the coat of many colors, and was dipped in blood. Jesus was stripped of his garments, which were already stained in blood. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed and sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was raised to power to be Pharaoh's right hand after being in prison as a criminal. Jesus rose to the right hand of God after after, uh, dying on the cross as a criminal. Moses as a type of Christ. Moses was instrumental in the rescue of the Israelites from slavery. He led Israel to the promised land. And like Jesus, like Yeshua, he was willing to stand in the gap for Israel. This is uh, Moses' prayer. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. That's in Exodus 20, uh, 32, 32. Now, Moses, in parallels, uh, when we compare Moses to Jesus, we see a lot of parallelism there. He was rejected by his own people the first time when he separated the two slaves, and Jesus was rejected by his own leaders and people. Then Moses was widely accepted the second time he came as a leader and a savior by his people 40 years later. Jesus, in his second coming, will be accepted. By all as the King Messiah over his people. Moses gave up his royal stature for the sake of his enslaved people. Jesus emptied himself, did not consider taking advantage of being equal to God. God appointed Moses as the leader of the Israelites. Jesus was highly exalted, given the name which is above every name. Moses Delivered Israel from slavery to Pharaoh into freedom. Jesus delivered the people from slavery to sin into freedom. Just as, um, as we're thinking through what, um, what Joseph's heart, oh, sorry, what Stephen's heart was to reach out to his people, he emphasized that one day the Jewish people will accept Jesus as their Messiah. But for now, he was willing to pay the ultimate price and to die for the sake of his brothers. And even in his last words, he, he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand, quoting from Psalm 110. And Jesus was being at the right hand of God. He proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah. Being the the ruler that the people were anticipating, even if it was full of the Holy Spirit. He was willing to be controlled by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And this is the very in, very famous verse uh, that encourages us to do the same. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that means we have to give the control over to the Holy Spirit and instead of the flesh. Stephen loved his Jewish brothers. He understood the importance of proclaiming Yeshua, the Messiah, to them. He was willing to die for the sake of their salvation. Lord, do not hold the sin against them, he cried. And I think it's uh, very important for us when, when we see that... Sometimes that all is lost. I mean, think about Stephen and his situation. He was going to die. He was going to be killed by his own brothers. All is lost as far as he was concerned. There's nothing he could do anymore. They were angry with him. He couldn't defend himself anymore. That was it. But when all is lost, he put his trust in the Lord and Savior. And sometimes... When we face things in our life, in situations when we feel that's it, all is lost. Um, I, I'm, I'm sick um, in a terminal disease or, you know, I lost everything, I lost my family. All, thing, all kinds of things happen in life. And when things are getting there, there is one hope that we can hold on to and that's the promises of our Lord and Savior. And what I mean by that is when Jesus promised that he's going to come and take us to be with him, we have to hold on to that promise as with our dear lives because this is the promise that we, the only promise we can hold on to in this life because the world as as we know it, it has an end. It's not going to last forever. The things that are tangible, that we can see, they're not going to last forever. One thing will last forever, and those are the promises of God in the Bible. And this is what um, Stephen was appealing to in his speech, to the promises of God that he could hold on to in his last breath. Stephen was wise, and he learned the scriptures well and was able to use God's word with much wisdom, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And I think it's also a lesson for us. We are not to neglect God's word. And especially when, when we live, we might live in a country where we don't face um, persecution that is life-threatening. Or well, sometimes we are ridiculed for our faith. And sometimes uh, the government uh, does things to, to make us feel uncomfortable or cringe. And, and to be honest, it's not providing a life-threatening um, scenario to us. But you know what? Nobody is promising us a safe journey. Nobody is promi- promising us a, a garden of roses. And one day things may change, and the government might decide that we are the enemies of the state and might wish to persecute us. We don't know. But the point is this, that um, when, when it comes to studying the scriptures, Stephen studied the scriptures as if his life depended on it. And this is the point, because... Actually, if you think about it, our life dependent on our studying the scriptures well. Because if we don't study it, if we don't take the scriptures and apply it, if we don't hold on to the promise of, of the scriptures, what hope do we have? Okay? This life is, is like a vapor. One day we're here, next day we're not. And so this is the only thing that is left. And lastly, the Jewish people, they have a future. One day, they will embrace Jesus as King, Lord, and Savior. As it is written in the Old Testament, they will look on me, who they have pierced. The Kariah 12 and verse 10. And it is written also in the New Testament that one day the Jewish people will embrace Jesus as their King Messiah. And that is in Acts 7. just wanted to point out the the understanding of the Jewish people as far as the Messiah is concerned. The Jewish people are still looking forward to the Messiah coming. One day they believe that Messiah will come. They don't really know how he's going to come. They don't really know how it will play out. Some people say one thing, other rabbis say another thing, and, and yet when you try to squeeze all the promises of the Messiah into one coming, it will be very difficult. And, uh, but, because, Moses, because uh, Stephen emphasized the fact that it will be the same Moses, that the same Moses came 40 years later and rescued these people, it will be the same Jesus. It will be the same Messiah that will come the second time, and uh, this is this is our hope. We're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah the second time. Now, this is what the uh, Second Peter uh, verses are telling us in terms of the second coming. And it's uh, Second Peter and uh, Chapter Three. And verse three. We'll start off there. So Peter three three. Second uh, Peter 3, three three, sorry. Notice first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it is, as it was from the beginning of creation. Well, you know what? This is the attitude in many, many, even churches today, where there is no looking forward for the coming of the Messiah, for the promises. And it's so much so that, that people live as if, though, Jesus is not coming back, is not returning. And I heard it with my own ears, uh, being present at one of those churches, when the preacher said, we don't know when Jesus is going to come, but right now we're going to do the things as if he's, he's not going to come many, many thousands of years later. So in other words, they don't even anticipate his coming. They don't even hold on to the promises of his return. And scoffers will come, according to the passage here, in the last days. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Everything is continuing as it was. You know what? We can be discouraged. How many thousands of years have passed since Jesus promised to come back? And still he didn't come. And we can be discouraged and thinking, well, he hasn't come yet, so maybe he's not coming. Or maybe he will come who knows when. Let's live as if he's not coming. This is exactly the opposite of what the scriptures are telling us. We ought to live now as if Jesus is coming today, as if he's coming in in one hour's time. And this is where our focus should be when living this life. This is where our hope should be. So, no matter what you're going through, my dear friend, it is really the point of trusting what the Bible is telling us. Are we trusting the Bible? Is it true to us as, as, as much as it's true in, in reality? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And we can hold fast to the promises that you gave us. Help us be like Stephen and looking forward to the time he will spend with his Lord and Savior in heaven. Lord, help us to that hope that is awaiting us. Help us to trust in that hope. And help us to trust in nothing else. Help us to love the lost, the Jewish people and all the people around us. Help us to have the love that Stephen had, the love that is even willing to lay down his life for the sake of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, in your precious name.
2: Thank you so much. Brother, thank you for opening the Word of God and sharing us, sharing that with us. Uh, a real blessing. Church family, stick around. Uh, enjoy some fellowship. Remember to come back this afternoon, 4.30 to 5.30. Zohar, just real quick, how can we be praying for you? You're heading off now to do some ministry with OAC, hmm. equipping those about how they can witness to, to Jewish people. Uh, we can be praying for you for that. Any, any other ways we can pray for you?
0: Um, oh, pray oh, Sorry. My bad. Uh, just, um, just bear in mind um, that uh, Israelis are starting already to arrive a little bit uh, bigger numbers in September already. Uh, so in the meantime, there is still time to equip the saints in uh, how to reach out to the lost and especially in regards to the Jewish people. So that's, that's really upon my heart because, you know, I don't want to do this work alone. I really want People to to know how to do it and to be equipped in doing that, mm-hmm. and so please pray for the Israelis that come to New Zealand, especially um, you know the young people that come with their backpacks, that they will come with open hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, really is my prayer that they will be attentive and they will be embracing <coughs> Jesus. That the Holy Spirit will work in their lives and will convict them. It really uh, is my my heart's desire to see them saved. And also pray for uh, in New Zealand in general, because it's actually a huge mission field. There's so many nations that are coming here. There's Chinese people all over, Japanese people, Korean, uh, South Americans, Europeans, you name it. Um, They all need the gospel. They all need the Lord. So please pray for, for that.
2: Well, we, we're so grateful for you and uh, to Healer and all your children. Thank you for coming. Um, you're off to Onikawa Bible Church this evening as well to speak there. So we've, we've kept you busy this weekend and uh, we just love you and thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and rejoice in a time gathered together. Thank you for uh, the word um, in Acts 7. Lord, thank you for uh, Zohar, your servant. Uh, would you bless the words uh, would you bless him as he goes about the remainder of his day here in the Hawke's Bay and as he seeks to equip those um, uh, through OAC about how to reach uh, a people um, that are dear to his heart, they're dear to our heart. Um, Lord, would you give him, continue to provide him all the wisdom uh, everything he needs to continue his ministry. Thank you for him. We pray, Father, for these Israelis that will come in September, Lord. Would you uh, even uh, be already working to to lift off the veil? Mm. And we know that it's taken away uh, when one turns to Christ. And so we pray, Father, that that would happen. Yes. Um, we thank you for this day. Uh, we pray now, Lord, that we would gather together as your people and worship you continually uh, day by day and even after this service now. Uh, Together we uh, rejoice and we say thank you in Christ's name. Amen.